Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9.31 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time. It is the second day of Spooktober 2023, and this is episode 804 of Bitcoin. And we've got some Craig Wright news. Yeah, we're not going to do it first, but we do have Craig Wright news. We also are going to talk be, be talking about uh, Ross Ulbricht. Uh, he, we just can't let this, uh, let this shit slide. What else have we got on deck? Uh, we got some things about Bit Farms. They're increasing their mining. And then there's, oh, Coinbase. Yes, I know. It's Coinbase, but it, Coinbase remains a major indicator in which way things are going. General sentiment in the, oh God, I hate to say it, the crypto ecosystem. So, I'm going to be talking about Coinbase, but, you know, honestly, it it means more than just about Coinbase. I'm just saying, just be prepared for when you hear the word Coinbase, and we're going to be talking about the IMF. Now, that's something we can all agree. These people completely suck, and they continue to suck. Anyway, <clears throat> we will be talking about... Well, that WorldCoin is looking like it's, you know, continuing some successful strides. We have to know about it because if we don't, we're just going to you know fool ourselves into believing that WorldCoin is going away. It isn't. And then we have some Caitlin Long stuff. We'll be talking about, yes, the CEO of, of N-Chain and, and Craig Wright and all that kind of stuff. Effective altruism apparently played a much deeper role in FTX and the <laughs> the uh, crumbling of that empire than we were led to believe. Uh, Bitcoin payment service, BTC pay server is integrating with React. We'll get into some of that. Uh, there's some news about Obscura. And I'm going to read Noster Tech Weekly for the f- uh, 1st of October, 2023 uh, to get through some of the Noster news. And if we have time, if we have time, we might might talk about the Babylon Protocol in Bitcoin staking. Yeah, I know it's disgusting, but it is what it is. Um, so let's do it. Let's begin with uh, let's begin with Ross Ulbricht. Uh, Ten years taken. Hold on, I got. I do want to check on one one thing. Yeah, ten years taken. Bitcoin icon Ross Ulbricht is still in jail, and he's still seeking justice. Reed McDonald. Reminds us about this poor guy sitting in jail for Bitcoin Magazine. It has officially been one decade since Ross Ulbricht, the man behind the popular online marketplace Silk Road, was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. His crime? Enabling free people to freely trade. And I'm going to pause already because it's not just life in prison without the possibility of parole. 
that while that is true, his actual sentence was a life sentence times two plus 40 years. Two life sentences plus 40 years for running a website. For running a website. In the years since, his case has been a lightning rod for debates about internet freedom, drug policy, and the criminal justice system, leaving a lasting impact on the Bitcoin and cryptocurrency communities. As the years roll by, Ulbricht remains in prison, still seeking justice for what he believes is an unfair sentence. In 2014, Ulbricht was arrested and accused of running Silk Road, a clandestine online marketplace that allowed users to buy and sell a wide range of goods, including drugs, using Bitcoin as the primary currency. His arrest was a pivotal moment in the history of Bitcoin, highlighting both its potential for censorship resistance and its association with illicit activities. Critics argue that Ulbricht's sentence is disproportionate to his crime, considering the nonviolent nature of his offenses. They assert that his trial was marred by irregularities, including allegations of corrupt agents involved in the investigation. These factors have fueled a fervent campaign for his release, with supporters calling for clemency and a second look at his case. Ulbricht himself has not remained silent during his incarceration incarceration. He has penned articles from behind bars, shedding lights on his perspective and the lessons that he's learned during his time in prison. In these writings, he has highlighted the role of Bitcoin as a symbol of freedom and resistance against government overreach. He's also touched on his unique personal experience as an early adopter and innovator within the Bitcoin market. Quote, the early adopters of Bitcoin had no way of knowing what we do now. All they had was a dream, a conviction, and enough infectious enthusiasm to bootstrap a digital contrivance into a multi-billion dollar phenomenon we are only beginning to see the effects of, he wrote just last year. In his articles, Ulbricht had expressed deep regret for his actions and the negative consequences that they may have had. However, he also contends that the harshness of his sentence is a reflection of the government's desire to make an example of him and stifle the potential of Bitcoin as a tool for individual liberties. The cryptocurrency community continues to rally behind Ulbricht, advocating for a fair review of his case and a reconsideration of his sentence. They argue that his imprisonment serves as a stark reminder of the ongoing battle for Internet freedom, privacy, and the responsible use of Bitcoin. Of late, this has included outreach to pro-Bitcoin U.S. presidential candidates, including Democrat nominee Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who is not a Democrat anymore, by the way, or at least he won't be, I think, uh, October the 10th. Somewhere around there, he is going to announce that he is going uh, to an independent ticket because the Democrats are not giving him a fair shake. Just thought I'd point that out. As well as Republican hopeful Vivek Ramaswamy, who have both suggested that they are receptive to the cause. As Bitcoin and digital assets gain mainstream acceptance, the case of Ross Ulbricht remains a powerful symbol of the complex relationship between technology, regulation, and individual rights. Again, that was by Reed McDonald at Bitcoin Magazine. It is a good reminder to understand that Ross Ulbricht was just a kid. He was really just a kid when they put him behind bars for life times two plus 40 years. If this thing's not rescinded, he's going to spend the rest of his natural born life behind bars for what? Running a website, 
If anybody is out there listening to my voice and actually thought or said out loud that stupid bullshit about him hiring some guy to kill somebody, that was never true. In fact, that was an allegation by one of the agents that was shown to be corrupt and himself convicted. And yet that testimony, as far as I know, has never been stricken from the case. If you're one of those people, I hate you and I want you to stop listening to this show right now because you are not worth scraping your shitty ass crap off the bottom of my boot. It's just, it is insane how many times I have been tagged by people saying, but what about the whole whataboutism about a completely false allegation levied by a person who went to jail because he was corrupt in the very same case makes me wonder, do we have any intelligent life on this planet left? Just, you know, pointing that out. Going to mining. Bit farms. Bit farms increases mining pace and generates 411 BTC in September. This is Helen Parts for Cointelegraph. The Canadian Bitcoin mining firm Bitfarms has been actively scaling operations, significantly increasing the amount of mined BTC last month. Bitfarms mined a total of 411 BTC in September of 2023, which is up 7.3% from the amount mined in the previous month. Out of the 411 BTC mined, Bitfarms sold 362, generating total proceeds of 9.5 million. The firm continues to hold 703 BTC, worth nearly 20 million at the time of writing on their balance sheet. The mining production increase is a result of Bitfarms continuing to install new miners and fully energizing its Argentina facility at Rio Cuarto to 51 megawatts. With new installations, Bitfarms has reached a total operating capacity of 233 megawatts, having increased it by 24% in the year 2023 alone. Also, Bitfarms increased its hash rate by 9% in September from 6.1 exahashes per second Uh, Despite significant growth, the hash rate is still slightly below the firm's third quarter target of 6.3 exahashes per second, reflecting some electrical infrastructure delays in Bitfarm's Quebec facility at Baikamu. How do you pronounce it, I think? I don't know. I don't care. According to Bitfarm CEO Jeff Morphy, the company continues to believe that many of its best opportunities for growth will arise from the next Bitcoin having expected to occur in April of 2024. The upcoming event, which happens once every four years, will cut the Bitcoin miner block reward from 6.25 BTC to 3.125, significantly increasing the cost of mining. Quote, to this end, we are focused on infrastructure and balance sheet strength to provide the financial flexibility to move aggressively when conditions for growth are optimal, Morphe said. Despite Bitfarms posting a significant increase in mining production in September of 2023, the firm's mining pace is slightly lower than the figures recorded in 2022. The amount of mined Bitcoin in September was 14.6 lower than in 2022. Bitfarms has mined 3,692 BTC year-to-date, while in 2022, the firm generated 3,733 BTC over that very same period. 
The news comes as Bitcoin's mining difficulty experienced a 2.7% month-over-month month surge in September, and Bitcoin miners anticipate higher BTC prices, according to some estimates. Bitcoin mining difficulty will drop by 0.7% at its next automated readjustment on October the 2nd. What does it all mean? Well, it means that miners just don't give a shit about the bear market. They are continuously positioning themselves to do what? To mine Bitcoin. But they're also positioning themselves, given other news stories, not in this one, but in other news stories, to start hybridizing their facilities to AI. That's right. AI. Who or or that just converted a snippet of a BTC Sessions video, you know, like video on how to work a cold card into Spanish. Yes, it did. Uh, you might have seen BTC Sessions. Uh, he's one of the bins out there in, in Bitcoin land. Uh, you might have seen one of his uh, Noster notes kind of getting on the charts and whatnot. Well, it's because he released this snippet. It's like, I don't know, a minute and a half. And it's his full video of him, his original video. And he's sitting, you know, in front of the camera and he's holding a cold card and he's talking. But when he's talking in the original video, he's talking in English. So he had some AI somewhere and he did not give the name of whatever it was that did it. But he gave it like a minute and a half of a particular, you know, this particular minute and a half section of that English speaking video where you can see his lips moving and everything. And it converted it to him in his own voice speaking Spanish and then matching his mouth structures as he's speaking to match him speaking Spanish and not English. And while you, if you really, really look hard, you can tell, but it sounds great and it's in Spanish. And I cannot tell you what this means not it's not just like oh well now he's just going to be able to get more money from you know a bunch of spanish speaking people that's not it some of the best educators do not speak other languages they just don't you know like you know americans you know and canadians we have a tendency to be monolingual or bilingual at best and if you're in canada you're not speaking spanish you're speaking french okay if you're bilingual in canada chances are good you're speaking french Right, you're not speaking Spanish. And what have I said almost all the time, every single day almost on this podcast is that Latin America is the future. If you want to learn how to speak a second language, forget French. Don't worry about Greek. Screw Italian, Portuguese, maybe. Maybe. Brazil's awfully big. That's a big country and they speak Portuguese, which is different than Spanish. But outside of that, German, forget about it. Japanese, Chinese, look, the people that are swearing up and down that if you don't speak Chinese or your kids don't speak Chinese that they're going to be fucked is bullshit. That's bullshit. However, if you're not going to learn how to speak Spanish, you are really hamstringing yourself. And the AI technology, and this is just BTC Sessions, he's just, he was just playing around. And it's clear at this point with that minute and a half snippet that he that the potential to reach people in different countries speaking different languages has now been unlocked the pitfalls btc sessions has no idea of the culture of argentina and the culture of chile 
which is slightly different than Argentina, nor does he have any idea about the culture in Mexico, which is different than Argentina. They, it, the AI cannot fake like a, a humor. Like if you're, if I'm trying to be humorous, I can probably do that to other Americans. Will I be able to pull that off in Spanish in Argentina? Doubtful. They may not get it. There's a whole set. There's whole sets of context that AI cannot bring to the table. You still need a human to be able to suss that out. And you need human experiences in these places to be able to suss that out. But will they be able to understand BTC sessions speaking Spanish? Most likely, I'll give it that the translation is probably 85% accurate, but it's definitely enough for these people to be able to learn how to use a cold card from one of the best cold card instructors that there is on the planet right now, and that's BTC Sessions. I'm just saying, do not put, do not, do not, do not sleep on the whole AI thing. This It's rolling faster than it's rolling as fast as Bitcoin. It's rolling as fast as Noster. It's it. We are all going right ahead. We are cleaving through other ships. We are messing up whole glaciers. We are ice breaking all the way to the North Pole with this stuff. You don't want to be left behind. It doesn't mean that it that it's going to be doing the work for all of us. It's just going to cause different kinds of work to have to be done that somebody will pay you to do. I guarantee it. Now let's let's get on to who is it? Who is it? Coinbase. It's Coinbase. Coinbase, Coinbase, Coinbase. Coinbase has been approved to offer Bitcoin buying to institutions in Singapore. That's right. Read McDonald again for Bitcoin magazine. Coinbase one of the world's largest Bitcoin and crypto exchanges has received approval from the Monetary Authority of Singapore to offer Bitcoin buying and selling services to both retail and institutional investors in the country. This milestone makes official Coinbase's expansion into the Singaporean market, which has been gradually embracing Bitcoin as an investment option. The approval, granted by MAS, enables Coinbase to provide a secure and regulated platform for Singaporean investors to access Bitcoin and comes on the heels of its approval in Europe last week. Coinbase's expansion comes at a critical juncture for the company. Since its high-profile IPO in 2021, Coinbase has faced challenges in maintaining its share price amid a volatile crypto market. The company's stock initially surged post-IPO, but has since experienced fluctuations in line with the broader cryptocurrency market. Coinbase's expansion into Singapore aligns with its mission to make cryptocurrencies more accessible. Yeah, yeah, that's suit speak, dude. The move also reflects the broader trend of crypto exchanges seeking regulatory approval and compliances as they expand their services to cater to a wider audience. This approach not only enhances investor protection, but also contributes to the legitimacy of cryptocurrency industry at large. Further, it follows the exchange's recent promised edition of the Bitcoin Lightning Network, a second layer solution designed to improve the scalability and efficiency of Bitcoin transactions. Yeah, it, it, it Coinbase keeps promising Lightning integration. And every time they do, some moron over on Twitter decides to say, see, look, it's happening, it's happening. Dude, the, the bald one over at Coinbase has been talking about Lightning integration for six months. Six months. He's been talking about it longer than that, but he's been saying it's 
coming for like at least six months, if not nine. When, Brian? When? When, when, when? I'm just, I'm, it's just, it's so sick. All right, taking a break. Taking a break right here. I'm going to look through, uh, look through who, oh, Derek Ross is in the, is in the chat. Derek, howdy do, brother. Uh, looks like, let's see, I'm trying to, um, trying to see. Uh, Eternal Student with 21 Sat says, first time watching the stream. Thank you, bro. We got Kid Warp is in here. DeFi Yogi is in here. Daniel is in here. He says, woohoo, first time using Zapstream. Ooh, Daniel, thank you for the 1,000 sats. I appreciate that, brother. Uh, let's see, is there anybody else in there? Open mic, like a shadowy super coding villain. Yeah, brother. Open mic, thank you for the 120, 121 Satoshis. I do, I do appreciate it. I appreciate you all for being here. Please, if you can remember... Uh, take the zap stream, you know, take the URL for the zap stream and shoot it out across all your social media and see if you can entice some of your friends to get in there. And I don't know, you can troll me to death. I promise I won't mind. Speaking of somebody who needs to be trolled mercilessly. IMF, you thought I was going to say Craig, right? Didn't you? (laughs) No. IMF working paper proposes country level assessment Matrix for crypto risks. Ezra Reguera is reporting from Cointelegraph. A working paper published by the IMF proposed a count vulnerabilities and potential policy responses for the crypto sector. I don't account. I don't even wrote that sentence is terrible. That is a terrible sentence. Let's try this again. Without AI, a working paper published by the International Monetary Fund proposed an accounting of vulnerabilities and potential policy responses for the crypto sector. See, that's the way that shit should have read. On September the 29th, the IMF published a working paper titled Assessing Macrofinancial Risks from Crypto Assets. Within the paper, authors Burku and Hector Perez Size proposed a crypto risk assessment matrix, also known as CRAM or CRAM for short, for countries to spot indicators and triggers of potential risks in the sector. The matrix also aims to summarize regulators' potential responses to the risks it could identify. The matrix includes a three-step approach. The first step includes a decision tree to assess crypto macro criticality or was it criticality? Yeah, criticality or the potential to affect the macro economy. The next step involves looking at indicators comparable to those used to monitor the traditional financial sector. The last step covers the global macro financial risks affecting country systemic risk assessment. You see where this is going, don't you? For example, The authors applied CRAM to identify risks in El Salvador, a country that made Bitcoin a legal tender in September 2021. According to the paper, El Salvador's use of BTC poses market liquidity and regulatory risks. The authors wrote, quote, the use of crypto assets in El Salvador could be assessed as macro critical as recent regulatory and legal changes entail the risk of substantial Cryptoization, Jesus. <laughs> cryptoization in the country, undermining financial stability and affecting large remittances and other capital inflows. In quote, the IMF has 
consistently discouraged El Salvador from adopting Bitcoin. And in January of 2022, the IMF urged the Central American country to drop Bitcoin's legal tender status. According to the IMF, using BTC as legal tender carries large risks in areas such as financial stability, financial integrity, and consumer protections. As crypto rapidly develops, regulators are playing catch-up on putting in place responses to potential risks in the nascent space. And on October, nope, 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 on September the 7th, the IMF and the Financial Stability Board, the FSB, collaborated like the asshole criminals that they are on a joint paper containing policy recommendations at the request of the Indian G20 presidency. The paper combined standards and consolidated recommendations for various risks associated with activities in crypto. Oh my God. So what I just read to you boils down to this. None of the shit that we've done to scare people away from Bitcoin has worked, but we're not very inventive. So we're coming up with a risk assessment matrix that basically says the exact same thing we've been saying ever since El Salvador adopted Bitcoin as a legal tender in their country. That's all that was. It's almost like Greenpeace USA, which should be separated out from Greenpeace, you know, in in all the other countries, because Greenpeace USA is operating in a, basically a different plane of stupidity. But Greenpeace USA tries and tries and tries, and they never gain any traction. Change the code. Has anybody even heard of this shit since the last time that they spent like $100,000 on buying Twitter space so that they could run their stupidity? No, you haven't. Why? Because nobody cares. It's not catchy. The marketing is bad. It's not doing what they want it to do. And because it's not doing what they want it to do, every once in a while they come up with something new. Like they had a guy build a skull, which Bitcoiners immediately fucking co-opted, right? We co-opted it. We completely took it away from, I mean, we even changed, almost changed the artist's mind himself. He was contemplating. That was the last I heard is that the artist of that green skull with the cooling towers coming out of its head started saying, maybe uh, Bitcoin isn't as bad as I thought. Yeah, you think? Well, the IMF with all their power and all their friends and all their Clintons, well, they're, doing the same thing. None of their recommendations are catching fire. None of their marketing schema is actually having any effect. So what do they do? They do the same shit that they've always done, except it's, they've got a, a new thing. It's a, it's a matrix guy. We call it CRAM or CRAM to get the computer heads to look at it. This is last ditch effort the, the Hail Mary kind of crap. We are literally at the we're the the very bottom of the fourth quarter of the game. And Bitcoin is winning by an incalculable lead. And the losing team is doing what? Sacrificing their best quarterback to stand in the Statue of Liberty stance until some of their best receivers that they cannot afford to lose run balls out all the way down the field to the other end zone. And maybe, maybe if they didn't blow a ligament trying to do that and nobody caved in the skull 
of the quarterback that this team absolutely has to have for next season, even though there's no fucking way they're going to win this game, to launch some last-second ditch attempt, Hail Mary, and it's just not going to work. It's embarrassing to watch. And I know that this is what's going on because they didn't assess Argentina's potential use. They didn't look at Colombia's potential use. No, they, they didn't even go across the, the ocean to, you know, Europe or something. No, 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 no. They went right to El Salvador where they always go with their risk assessment matrix. Yeah, you can take your cram. And I think you know what I'm about to say next. So I'll dispense with it. <clears throat> Last up before we do numbers. In emerging economies like Chile, WorldCoin is seeing a strong success. Because people, doesn't matter where they're at, there's always stupid people and there's always a lot of them. If you think that WorldCoin is anything but a scam in so many deep, deep ways... You have no hope as a human being. Decrypts. Pedro Salamano will tell you why. A shiny silver orb glints at you outside a metro station in downtown Santiago. What do you do? Form a line, apparently. According to WorldCoin, more than 200,000 Chileans have had their eyeballs scanned by its controversial orbs. For privacy buffs, this is the next step in the inevitable dystopian future that awaits. But for others... It's just a bit of free money. Carlos Santibanez, a 29-year-old Chilean from a small southern town called, there's no way I can pronounce it, I'm going to try, Yanquehuque, told Decrypt. He had his eyeballs scanned in September 2022, mostly out of curiosity. At the time, the WLD token had no monetary value. Since then, however, it has raked in more than $150 and continues to receive WLD tokens. Or he has raked in more than $150 US. And he continues to receive the token. He pointed out something often overlooked by WorldCoin critics. Quote, After a bit of reading, I found that their data collection is less invasive than what other companies keep. This made me think, well... At least I'm making something off this information, end quote. Pausing to, for a moment of silence to the dearly departed. I'm sorry to see you go, Mr. Ibanez or Santi Ibanez, but honestly, your loss is everybody else's gain. Santi Ibanez. Also pointed to the big-name investors backing WorldCoin as a guarantor of the project's direction. Quote, seeing that WorldCoin was such a big project, I didn't want to be left out. At the time of writing, having your eyeballs scanned earned you 25 WLD tokens worth roughly 42 bucks, according to CoinGecko. That's a fair chunk of change in some countries, such as Chile. The longest nation in the world has a minimum wage of $512 or about 460,000 Chilean pesos, receiving 8% of their monthly wage simply for scanning their eyeballs might be too good to pass up. 8%? Really? Okay. WorldCoin has seen success in emerging economies that have numbers similar to Chile. According to the company, Argentina, a company ravaged by hyperinflation, saw a day in August with one sign up every nine seconds. Across the Atlantic and Africa, Kenya also witnessed astoundingly long lines, with local media reporting more than 350,000 registrations. 
Those figures are not entirely surprising. In a country where the minimum wage barely passes 100 bucks a month, Kenyan authorities have also banned WorldCoin's operations, citing privacy concerns. But back to Chile, others are simply signing up for the novelty. A 25-year-old Chilean student, Javier Santiales, explained to Decrypt that despite leaning crypto skeptic, he passed a stand and decided to try it out. Oh, he passed a stand and decided to try it out. I've never really understood crypto. They were just giving money away, so why not? Why not? Why? So why not? It's free money. You you see how this works? He agrees with Santi Ibanez or Santi Bañez regarding people already getting most of their data collected serendipitously by other companies. Quote, this is no different from what everyone else does on the Internet, he said. Jesus. The controversial WorldCoin project has not seen widespread regulatory pushback in Chile, despite the whopping numbers the company claims have already registered. The nation has become known for its economic freedom and burgeoning tech scene. It also stands at the forefront of AI in the region, placing first in the Latin American Artificial Intelligence Index. Uh, having 1% of the population sign up for WorldCoin has left some startled, however, quote, I find it curious that the public judges the crypto world is a scam only to later stand in long lines for a bit of, quote, free money. Francisco Diaz, a Chilean anthropologist who studies decentralized autonomous organizations, told Decrypt. Diaz has been actively participating in Talent DAO, a research collective into how these types of organizations work for the better half of two years. He told Decrypt about how DAOs have evolved, leaving behind the old formula of issuing a governance token without even considering its necessity. In reference to his own country, Diaz thinks the WorldCoin success is probably due to the economic incentive. And considering the country's minimum wage, he concluded it's not a small amount of money. That's, that's why. That's why WorldCoin. Because all you have to do is stand in a line, look into a thing, and get money. Except you do have to learn how to exchange it, I suppose. I wonder if WorldCoin's making that easy to where that they can almost instantly, you know, where the the poor dude that just gave up their entire life can uh, sell WorldCoin for the local currency easiest not. Because that's what this all boils down to. It's not WorldCoin being a good idea. It's clear that it's not a good idea. So where else do we go? Well, it's not because WorldCoin is doing the same thing as everybody else. It's clearly doing even more. It's reaching even deeper than what everybody is already doing. You're giving up way more of your shit when you have your eyeball scanned into this stupid ass orb than using like, you know, Google to connect to a website. It's not that one is better than the other. They're both bad. I mean, I get that. But it's so much easier to stand in line, talk to your friends, and then stare into an orb. It's the user experience. That's where WorldCoin is winning. That's where WorldCoin is winning. It has nothing to do with the about the utility of their stupid-ass token or the whole identity on the internet. It has nothing to do with any of that. Nobody fucking cares. At all. They care about getting money and they care about getting money easy. And WorldCoin is basically making that happen for these people, which is why it's so 
insidious. It's evil at its core. And the people that are behind WorldCoin are evil themselves. Please, if you are Latin American and you're listening to my voice, if you're somebody or like one of my listeners in Argentina or El Salvador or Costa Rica, please warn your friends against this shit. Tell them not to take the easy way out. That's what's been crippling all of our countries across the globe for decades and decades is this user experience of easy money, no work, just stand in line, do what you're told. That's how we got here. Warn your friends, let's run the numbers. CNBC, futures and commodities, but first, a mention to open mic for his zapping me of a thousand sats over on zap.stream. If you are not listening to me or watching me on zap.stream, you can use some of the podcasting 2.0 stuff and you can like, you know, send me a message and zap me stuff and uh, give it a shot because people seem to enjoy it. But the oil traders uh, seem to be enjoying oil today, and not because it's up, but because it's down. It's down by one and a quarter percent to $89.65. Brent North Sea is also down 1.13% to the downside, $91.15 per barrel. Natural gas is also down one and a half to $2, nope, yep, $2.88 per thousand cubic feet. Gasoline is the only thing up today, almost a point, $2.00. And 41 cents a gallon. All of your shiny metal rocks are having a bad day. Gold is down a point. Uh, 1847 bucks. Ooh, that's kind of low. Somebody check on Peter Schiff for me. Silver is down almost five. Well, no, a little bit over four and a half percent to 2142. Platinum is down two and a quarter. Copper is down two and a half. Palladium is down four full points, ladies and gentlemen. Ag is mixed, mostly to the green side. Biggest winner today is wheat, 3.46% to the upside. Biggest loser is lumber, 1% to the downside. I got live cattle up 0.4%. Lean hogs are down 2.5%. And feeder cattle are up a half. Dow is down 0.75%. S&P is down 06 NASDAQ is the only thing in the green at 0.16% to the upside. And the S&P mini is down on its ass. One and a half points. Real money chilling out at 28,049 bucks. Apparently we got a little bit of a, I don't know. I was going to say a God candle, but it's not really. It's just like a, I don't know, a potential left-hand BART pattern candle. We'll we'll have to see. We'll have to see. We'll have to see. 0.44 BTC uh, is the average transaction value and 101 bucks is the median transaction value. Block times are low. Wow, really low. Nine minutes and 25 seconds. Uh, 0.14 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis. 22 BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24 hour period. With a 4.2% upside swing in hash rate, we're up to 411.72 exahashes per second. Dogecoin seeing the bump, the Bitcoin bump as well. United States pennies for that dog crap. Market capitalization for Bitcoin is $545.7 billion. That is 4.36% of gold's entire market cap. And you can, if you so choose, purchase 15, 15, 15 15.1 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 
19,501,830.5 of and 4,442.3 of those are in the Lightning Network valued at $124.3 million. And we've had node collapse again. We are down to 14,930 nodes that we can see sporting 63,206 payment channels and 80.6% of all that shit's going over Tor. So that is a matter of concern. The collapsing of the node number is concerning for me. Am I going to be hysterical about it? No. Am I going to lose sleep? No. I think that some people are converting their channels over to private channels because we can't see those. And I honestly think that there's more because we see the Tor capacity going up on the Lightning Network to well over 80%. I think we just can't see these nodes. I think there's a lot of people that are not only using private channels in payments, but I think that they're just their their nodes are on Tor, which pretty much means I think that Clark Moody's dashboard can't see it when it comes to how many nodes we have on the network. Somebody somewhere, please do me a big, 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 big favor. And if you have a theory, especially if it's backed up by like some kind of evidence about whether or not I am completely wrong or potentially right, please let me know. Uh, Just give me a note on Nostra. You can DM me. You can do it publicly. Uh, You can throw me a boostergram in podcasting 2.0. Like when I, when I throw this thing up uh, for uh, syndication, just whatever. I don't care. Just if if I'm wrong or potentially right, please let me know. Now, mempools are, they may clear, dude. Mempools may actually clear. We're up like 32 blocks. Yeah. Like 32 blocks carrying a mere 52,000 transactions waiting to clear. However, high priority uh, transaction rates are going for 35 Satoshis per V-byte. Low priorities are going for 29 Satoshis per V-byte. And anything under one Satoshi per V-byte is being purged from mempools around the world. Now, seriously, 32 blocks carrying 35 or 52,000 transactions are waiting to clear. And yet we still have high priority transaction fees of 35 Satoshis per V-byte. You'd think that it'd be like two four, eight, somewhere in single digit land, right? No, 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 no. Why? There's a shit ton of actual real economic value in each of these transactions being performed. It's not these ordinal inscription pieces of crap. It's not this this BRC or Bro20 token crap that is some kind of machination on Bitcoin. No, 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 no. It's not the crap. It's actual, real, honest-to-God numbers, like 319 bucks, 2,000 bucks, 3,000 bucks, 39 bucks, 5,000 bucks, 257 bucks, $11,000, These are actual, real, honest-to-God economic transactions. They're not the dime, the five-cent transactions. You know, these are carrying actual, real information. So does ordinals died? I don't know. I honestly don't give a shit. But I find it very fascinating that we have 
3233 blocks carrying 53,000 transactions waiting to clear and priority high priority transactions are selling at 36 satoshis per vbyte. It's amazing, honestly. And what is not amazing is that I am well off <laughs> well off the top 10 charts in uh, on fountain charts. So just to, you know, just letting you know, just I'm just saying, I'm I'm just saying here. Um I am now nah, last I looked I was number 26 on fountain charts so if you want to help me get back into the top 10 you know how to do it again that is podcasting 2.0 if you want to support the show it's the only way to go you can give me some satoshis on a boost you can stream me satoshis whatever you do get me back into the top 10 i feel lonely down here at the bottom but people are helping they're trying fatoshi with 21021 says okay pies wins <laughs> Pies with 20,000 Satoshi says, David, your rants in this episode were some of the best I've ever heard you make. Cheers, my brother, and thank you. Well, I appreciate that, Pies. I try not to rant on because sometimes it just, you know, I get a little out of control. But, uh, you know, eh. that was, by the way, he's talking about the Stop Crying episode number 803. Uh, he also says, for 5,000 sats, Pies says, love the rant around the Gemini Netherlands thing. Uh, Bully Stid or Steed, uh, 3,333 sats says, epic Twitter rant, 1-800-CRY-HARDER and Bobby Trad Wife Boost. <laughs> Nick underscore dose with 1369 says, cheers. Dubrovko says, with 1,170 sats, David, message me. Oh, shit, I forgot to do that, Dubrov. Sorry, brother. Things are weird around here. I'm dealing with weirdness all the time in my real, actual, off-air life. God's death. I'm sorry, God's Death, 370 says, thank you, sir. D-F-S-A-S, double finger, sit and spin, plus that track was fire. Pies with 100 says, thank you, sir. Fatoshi replies, no, thank me, and I thank you both. That's going to do it for the weather report. Welcome to part two of the snooze you can use. Wall Street veteran Caitlin Long warns of more rate hikes, says recession is already happening in the U.S. That's right. Sell, sell, sell. Thank you, Kramer. I appreciate it. This is the Daily Hoddle written by the Daily Hoddle staff. A seasoned Wall Street investor is issuing a warning that the Fed's long battle with inflation is likely not yet over. In a new interview with Kitco News, Custodia Bank Chief Executive Caitlin Long says that the Fed will surprise people and continue to raise interest rates. I agree. Long says that her prediction is based on her view that inflation is once again rearing its ugly head. Quote, the Fed is going to keep raising rates. I think they're going to surprise people with how much they're continuing to raise rates and to try to get inflation under control. I don't believe the consensus is correct because inflation is picking back up. Those who forecasted inflation to pick back up have been proven right, at least in the short term, and there's some very interesting data underlying what's going on, end quote. According to Long, corporate America is still flush with cash as they're making the rising interest rate environment work in their favor. Quote, I used to work with corporate treasurers during my Wall Street career, and the corporations locked in low, long-term interest rates. So they're probably borrowing at about 2% 
yet they're earning 5 to 5.25% on that cash by just keeping it in T-bills or treasury bills or money market funds. So these big corporations are actually getting richer. They're getting bigger as a result of their really effective corporate treasury strategy, end quote. While big companies are taking advantage of the Fed's higher rates, Long goes on to say that other sectors in the U.S. economy are already in the midst of a recession. Quote, The recession is already happening in certain sectors. It's already happening in the labor markets, but recognize that it's very tilted. It's very unbalanced. What I just described, these large corporations getting richer, it's the old phrase that the rich have assets and the poor have debt, end quote. As the Fed continues to raise rates, the rich are getting richer because they're the ones that are owning these T-bills that are paying 5.25% risk-free right now. Okay, I I agree almost wholeheartedly with Kate and Long, but this T-bill business is short-lived. All a major country like Japan or China or even India, or the UK, actually, honestly, not just the UK, all of the European Union. All they have to do is start selling their treasury bonds. That's all they have to do. Sure, you'll get the rate, but when you buy the bond at a face value, let's say 100 bucks at 5.25%, right? If you have to sell that and you cannot hold till maturity, you ain't getting that 100 bucks back. And it doesn't matter what interest rate you're making on it. You're not going to recoup that entire hundred bucks. You sure as shit ain't going to make no money on it. So for those people that are going, you know what? Treasury bills. Thank you, Caitlin. I'm going all in. You might want to be pretty freaking careful about doing that shit. Because all somebody has to do is cut or not like a major country, just not buy at the next treasury bill auction. And you're kind of hosed. And then if you get that, and then somebody decides they don't like the United States very much, and there's a lot of those people out there, and they sell a bunch of their treasury bonds on the open market to flash that signal, uh, yeah, I mean, if you want to buy them at 86 and make 5.25% for the remainder of its duration, sure, go right the hell, right the hell ahead. But again, what are you doing? You're trading the market. You're just trading the market. Be very careful with this stuff. But she's definitely not wrong about their money market stuff. Because that money market stuff, that's not really as dependent on somebody selling the underlying like a T-bill is. I'd feel much safer if you're going to go the fiat route. I'd feel much safer in money markets if you want risk-free, uh, risk-free rate of return shit kind of stuff going on. Money market over the treasury bill is what the way that I would go. But I hate fiat because all this shit is just a clown show that's on fire being dumped out of a 747 over the South Pacific anyway. So stay away from all of it if you possibly can. Just buy Bitcoin, hold Bitcoin. Unlike unlike these jamokes, CEO of Enchain Group quits, admits that Craig Wright is a fraud. No bullshit Bitcoin bringing it to us. I thought this was a joke when I first saw it. Because people kept posting just the the actual screenshot. I had to fight to get somebody to give me the actual Twitter link to the guy so that I could make sure that this wasn't some kind of, you know, I don't know, photoshopped screenshot. Okay, so let's let's find out what the hell this was all about. In chain 
CEO Kristen Auger Hansen quit the company after 10 months in the role and made multiple allegations of fraud. Quote, I can confirm that I have departed from Enchain Global as its group CEO with immediate effect after reporting several serious issues to the board of Enchain Group, including what I believe is a conspiracy to defraud Enchain shareholders orchestrated by a significant shareholder. I also have concerns about the ultimate beneficiary shareholder and the real people behind DW Discovery Fund registered in the Cayman Islands. The chairman also took instructions from shadow detectors, which I didn't accept. I have also reported that I have found compelling evidence that Dr. Craig Wright has manipulated documents with the aim to deceive the court that he is Satoshi. Quote, I today myself convinced that Craig Wright is not Satoshi and I'm persuaded he will lose all his legal battles. The board didn't take action and my job becomes clearly untenable. Last, I think this is the last quote. Yeah. Uh, One of the things I recommended the chairman of the board do was to sack Dr. Craig Wright. I feel sorry for all the great people that work in the company, but I don't want to be a part of something I clearly don't believe in. Hashtag fake Toshi. He hashtagged it fake Toshi. The guy, I mean, it's legit as far as I can tell. This this Christian Hansen guy was the CEO of Enchain. And he was hired about 10 months ago. And he was a huge cheerleader for Craig Wright. Just, I mean, the same kind of sick, sycophantic thing that you've seen from all the other guys that love and adore Craig Wright. He was doing the same stuff. And then here it is 10 months later where he's like going, oh shit, no, I don't want to have anything to do with this. And he's gone. He's gone. He continues to say in another tweet, I will for sure write a book about my experiences I think this picture illustrates everything that is going on in the BSV ecosystem. Calvin Ayer is dealing with himself all of the time. Calvin got very stressed when I told him that I had compelling evidence that Craig Wright is not Satoshi. Turkey Chop, at Turkey Chop, it's a handle. Stephen Matthew told me he wanted to withdraw his witness statement in the COPA case and that Enchain Global should distance themselves from Craig S. Wright. Hashtag fake Toshi. So this guy's almost, I mean, it's not that he's just leaving. He's a whistleblower. He's basically telling everybody this guy is a fake, a fraud, <clears throat> a fabrication. Is we? Of course, we all knew it. We all knew it. We all knew it. We tried to tell people. We will continue to try to tell people. But now this guy is catching his own brand of shit on Twitter from all the Craig Wright wannabes and, and lovers and, and the people that are just brown nosing on this guy telling him like, look, man, you're just like, you're, you're the fraud. You don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, the guy's the CEO. He has, he has the, he can see anything that he wants in the company. He can go to chief financial and say, open the books and the books will be open. He can go to the chief Intel, the chief information officer and say, I need to see all the logs for the website in chain global. And he'll do it. He has he has his hooks into everything. He can see anything he wants to see. And apparently what he's seen has basically told him what we always what we already always knew. Craig Wright is a fraud. 
and is calling them out directly for it. I can't wait to see where this one goes, but we've got other fish to fry with Tom Mitchell Hill. <clears throat> Coin Telegraph. Effective altruism fueled SBF's ridiculous actions at FTX, Al, uh, ex-Alameda engineer says. Okay, so we got another whistleblower. Effective altruism was used to justify increasingly risky and ridiculous actions at crypto exchange FTX prior to its ultimate collapse in November of 2022, a former software engineer at Alameda Research said. Speaking to Cointelegraph, just days before FTX founder Sam Bankman fried's October 3rd trial, Adita Barajwaj, I can't pronounce these names, shared how ideology played a role in the company's collapse while explaining what it was like to work under the former billionaire. Barwad, I'm just going to say Barwad, claimed that effective altruism, which advocates that people make as much money as possible only to give it away later, tipped the scales from reason and moved many of the decision-making processes at the company towards insanity, end quote. Or, no, opening quote. This ideology <clears throat> was used to justify increasingly risk, risky and ridiculous actions that, honestly, should have been looked at with a saner mind, end quote. Prevalent throughout the tech circles of Silicon Valley and quantitative finance firms in New York, Barwad said effective altruism was an alluring and integral part of the cultural DNA at FTX and Alameda Research. Sounds... Like a cult. Quote, all of us at the company had this vision of, I think altruism is good, and I think doing things effectively is good. So you put these things together, and it's like, obviously this thing is good, he said. <laughs> Quote, but the problem is, when it veers into an ends justifies the means style of thinking, especially when the ends you're talking about are just so bizarre and ridiculous that no sane person would make those decisions, end quote. <laughs> Under the guise of effective altruism, Bankman Fried donated millions of dollars to prevent future pandemics and cure malaria in developing countries. Additionally, he was one of the top donors to the Democratic Party in the United States. However, he later admitted to donating to, you know, Republicans as well. As big short author Michael Lewis told 60 Minutes in a recent interview, one of the ideas being floated by Bankman Fry during the final days of FTX was paying Donald Trump $5 billion not to run as president in 2024 because the 31-year-old wished to protect democracy. Did you hear that? Yes, that just came out a couple of days ago. He offered Donald Trump $5 billion, that's billion with a B, he offered Donald Trump $5 billion to not run as president. You know what I haven't heard? Was President Trump saying no. I haven't heard President Trump say that he got offered the money. I haven't heard his camp say that he thought about taking the money or flatly refused the money straight out. There's no indication that there was actually any actual $5 billion offered to Donald Trump. But let's just assume that it was and that Donald Trump refused to take it. To refuse $5 billion 
to not be president of the United States means a couple of things. Either they're either or, not and. I guess they could be and, but I'm thinking either or. He's so rich, he's got so much money that no matter who makes fun of his bankruptcies as a businessman in his past, he's sitting on more cash than anybody could possibly ever want. And five billion dollars just ain't shaking his tree. Or two, five billion dollars is a lot of money, and Donald Trump would really like to take it, but he's not that much of an idiot. And he looked at Sam Bankman fried and said, if I touch anything that you've touched, I'm going to be indicted from here until the day that I die. And I've already got my problems with DOJ as it is. No, thank you. Or, or Donald Trump looked at the $5 million and said, and wanted the five million, five, five million, five billion dollars and wanted the $5 billion and didn't have a problem with SBF's $5 billion, but is so full of himself that he thinks he doesn't need the $5 billion that he can become president on his own, and that's going to get him $5 billion maybe on the speaking circuit. I don't know. Those are the only options that I see for, for President Trump not taking the money. But whatever. We've got some further fish to fry here. Um. I mean, where was I? Yes. <clears throat> However, in Barad's eyes, Bankman Fried and the altruistic philosophy weren't an act. He seemed to fundamentally believe, fundamentally believe what he was espousing. Barwad explained that despite the many allegations that accused Bankman Fried of hiding behind a fabricated altruistic persona, in person he came across exactly as he portrayed himself in the media. Quote, he struck everyone as highly motivated, someone who had a mission, who believed in the mission, and who wanted to make that happen. He seemed like someone who knew what he was doing. And there was certainly a lot of respect and trust that we had for him. That trust ended up being significantly misused. End quote. Barad said, Bankman Fried's belief in his supposedly altruistic motives Maybe wife, the former FTX founder, has staunchly maintained his innocence, having pled not guilty to all of the charges pressed against him, despite a mounting pile of evidence to the contrary. Quote, I'm sure there's all kinds of crazy psychological stuff going on in his head that are probably trying to cope with the facts. Maybe he does genuinely believe that what he did was fine, or he actually believes that he did nothing wrong. The truth is important, and I think the trial is hopefully going to clear up a lot of questions about everything that went down, end quote. And that's the end of the story. Kid Warp, what the fuck? Five billion. Yeah, five billion dollars. Five billion dollars to not run for president. That's how much money this kid was sitting on. He's just waving around five billion dollars to keep somebody out of the race for the next four years. That's $1.25 billion a year rent. Who who the hell does that? I mean, it's just insane, right? But here's the thing. This goes, this really has shifted my thinking. Uh, and I, I, well, I've been thinking about the following for a while, but this has co- completely shifted my thinking. And I will never go back to thinking other, anything other than the following. FTX and Alameda Research was a cult, a cult, a cult, not a business, a cult led by somebody who knew how to be a cult leader. They occur. WeWork is or was a cult. It's a cult. And in fact, there's a, 
Oh God, there's a, there's a podcast that my wife listens to. I don't, I listen to it in the car when we're on trips because she listens to, she likes this, like, uh, she likes, uh, fraud, true crime when it comes to like murder and stuff like that. And she likes, uh, who's a cult and stuff like that. And there's this one podcast that she listens to and all they do is it's like the catchphrase is, uh, be culty, but not too culty or something like that. And I cannot remember the name of the podcast, but it's pretty good. It's decently well-researched. You got to get past the fact that the two chicks that are doing it are raging blue haired, you know, liberals that want socialism. They actually say that all the time, but if you can not throw up in your mouth, every time you hear them say stupid shit like that, the rest of the show is actually not bad when they're talking about why they think something is a cult and what they compare it to and things like that. And they did one on WeWork and holy shit, that pl- that thing is a cult. WeWork was a fucking cult. It wasn't a business. It was a cult. FTX, Alameda, I guarantee you when you get into the deeps of Three Arrows Capital, um, oh, what was that? Those lender guys, uh, BitLend, I can't remember, BitFrost, whatever the name of that company like that was like... Uh, they were doing lending. They got caught up in it. They all went bankrupt. I will bet you that that cult-like atmosphere was ingrained in all of those companies. But at least as far as FTX and Alameda are concerned, it explains a lot. It explains a lot. We are going to skip the Bitcoin payment service uh, thing. I might bring that to you tomorrow. We're getting long on time. I don't want to go into an hour and a half. So let's do this one. Obscura VPN has been announced. Yay. Privacy by design. No bullshit. Bitcoin brings it to you. Obscura aims to be the first VPN that cannot track your activity or match it to your identity and do it by design. Quote, I'm beyond excited to finally announce Obscura, said Carl Dong on X, I mean Twitter. Obscura is a VPN that I've been working on that offers privacy by design and can never track your privacy. Quote, in Obscura, we only control the first hop and use blind third-party relays for the exit hop. The result is that we can never, ever correlate your identity with your traffic as we don't even see your traffic in the first place. Obscura is a VPN that, one, has absolutely no ability to tie your personal information to your browsing activity. Two, works everywhere, even on restricted networks like your co-working space or local coffee shop. And three, Obscura is in development to be first in line when we want uh, launch. You will have to join our tester. You can go to their community on Discord. Uh, Matrix Bridge is also available you can join their waitlist, uh, email with operacy, email with optional PGP encryption or Noster encrypted DM. So the uh, link to this entire announcement, if you want to go check out Obscura VPN, again, that is Obscura VPN privacy by design. If you want to go check it out, check out the show notes. Yes, I know. Fountain is weird with my show notes. I can't, I tried, I can't figure it out. It like it. I can't copy and paste from it. At least not not on the mobile phone. I don't know what to do about this. So please, please, Oscar, 
If you are out there listening, please do something about fountain notes. Please, for the love of God, we all want fountain notes to work like any other notes. We do. We do. We do. Uh, What else is here? Uh, We're not going to do Bitcoin staking because it's probably dumber than I even think of. We'll end it off with the NOST report or NOSTER e-port. I don't know how to pronounce it. It's N-O-S-T-R-E-P-O-R-T. You've seen them on Noster. They do a damn good job with their daily updates. This one is Noster Tech Weekly for the first week of October 2023 and is written by Greg White. Happy Sunday, Noster. Here's your Noster Tech Weekly newsletter brought to you by Noster Report, written by Greg White. It's a weekly newsletter focused on the more technical happenings in the Nosterverse. Recent upgrades to Noster, a.k.a. NIPS. Number one, NIP24, extra optional fields. NIPS often define new kinds of events that can be published to relays, whether it's a basic text note, a zap receipt, a blog post, whatever. There is data that must have been included for the event to do its job. And over time, devs find some additional data useful to making that event work even better. They're not required, but they are helpful. Until now, this was just knowledge in the heads of developers. Now there's a nip where it seems like we're going to collect definitions of optional data for various types of Noster events. The author of that one was Fiat Joff. Number two, proposed NIP 105 API service marketplace. Many services provide APIs to developers to build on top of that service. For example, Noster.watch provides an API that's the best source of a full list of relays that are in operation. They happen to make that freely and publicly available. Sometimes it makes sense to charge for an API. There's always difficulty charging based on usage of an API because charging per request in the world of fiat where fees are 3% with a minimum of 15 cents is just too expensive. What ends up happening is a daily, weekly, or monthly charge for a user's usage, and that adds risks to the provider that they won't get paid. This NIP outlines a way to allow a per-API call transaction using the Lightning Network so that the user only pays for what they use and the provider gets paid immediately. And there's no third party. The first obvious usage case is providing an API to access OpenAI's API and charging on a per request basis. The author of this one was Chuck or Coach Chuck FF, Uncle Jim 21, Command Druid and Bitcoin Pleb Dev. Notable projects exit. That's right. You've heard it here first. Well, actually, I Probably didn't hear it here first, but exit the, you know, Pablo F7Z. Many former Twitter users had a lot of content locked up in Twitter's ecosystem, which has now been closed. Thanks to Pablo, we now have a way to take our Twitter archive and broadcast each tweet as a Twitter note. So, and I told you about that last week, but, uh, you know, if you still don't know about it, it's exit. And that is going to be, oh, what, let's, let's get, uh, uh, now it stop being an uh, stop being difficult website <laughs> exit.pub that is exit.pub uh pablo's built this thing where you can get all your twitter data as a js file when you download it from your archive from twitter and you can port the js file over into noster and it will uh respect the timestamps of the twitter post or each one of your tweets 
Uh, Prisms. When the first post about Prisms came out, I remember reading the note like five times asking myself, but what is a Prism? Fortunately, Dergigi wrote an excellent article about Prisms and credits the initial idea to Cooks, K-U-K-K-S. Read the article here, and there is a link to here. Prisms are a way to split a single payment into many payments. The Noster use case for this is paying out to multiple people when zaps are made to a note. Imagine one person announces a new Noster product, but there are three devs. All zaps should go to all three devs so that a prism can be created to help with that. Uh, the author of this one is Bob and Gundoff and Bitcoin Pleb Dev. Noster.cooking. Ah, oh, yes, we Nostridges love the joys of cooking. I've heard many suggestions that we should have a Noster equivalent to allrecipes.com. It seems like a natural ecosystem to live on Noster, where people could have the ability to create, publish, and receive tips for good recipes. Also, the open ecosystem of Noster lends itself well to people copying and tweaking recipes and publishing that new version. That's why Noster.cooking, again, that's Noster.cooking, is such a wonderful addition to the Nosterverse. I can't wait to try out some of the recipes and attempt a few forks myself. Get it? Ha <laughs> ha, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I do think these are published as kind one events, though. So they'll show up just like any other basic text note. I wonder if a new event kind would be appropriate. There's enough structure to the recipes to warrant it, and it would allow for interesting features for recipes, such as the ability to scale a recipe's ingredients list, depending on how many people you are cooking for. Nostersync.live backups. One of the challenges of Noster is ensuring that you don't lose data. Many relays will delete events after they reach a certain age, usually to save on hosting costs, especially on public relays. It's also been a challenge to find a good backup system that also broadcasts events back onto relays that may have already, quote, forgotten the event. Ifan, I-E-F-A-N, strikes again in his quest to make the perfect backup and broadcast experience. Nostersync.live will query events from Noster or uh, from dozens of popular relays, create a unified list, and then rebroadcast all the events onto many popular relays to ensure that your data isn't lost and others can access it well into the future. Thank you. Data retention. As mentioned above regarding backups, many relays will delete old events. It's an easy shortcut to keep up with ongoing Noster usage without hosting costs ballooning for relay operators. Semisol is ensuring that Eden.Noster.Land will retain events for paid users indefinitely, but I haven't heard the same promise from any other paid relay operator yet. It's not cheap to do, especially as the amount of Noster traffic and notes grow over time. Semisol also said this week that scaling relays is going to be hard. I imagine the proximity of that note to the one about Eden.Noster.Land retaining the events indefinitely means that they're related. Yeah, it does. Operating a service like Facebook or Twitter gets expensive, especially at scale, even more so when each user can have a decade or more of history on the product. Centralized services are generally more cost-efficient as well, so it's unlikely a decentralized system like Noster leads to a cheaper outcome. Relays that are fast and hold your data indefinitely likely won't come cheap. Event 
eva- or sorry, excuse me, event validation. Many relays also won't accept events where the create date of the event is too far into the past because there's no way to validate that the event was indeed created at that time unless the relay receives the event close to the indicated created date. This isn't super important for reactions to a note, but there are all sorts of shenanigans that can be pulled if you can retroactively publish things. A simple example is publishing that you made a certain bet after the outcome is decided. I'm not sure. Well, we have DLCs for that, but whatever. I'm not sure if Nostr needs to solve that problem. But certain applications won't be a good fit for Nostr if we don't. If we're okay with that, then relays don't need to reject events that were created very far in the past. If we do reject old notes being rebroadcast, then we're going to introduce a problem with users moving between relays. Imagine I was paying for a relay that had all of my data, but one day I decide it's too expensive and someone else is offering the same service for cheaper. If that new relay won't accept my old events, then I'm basically wiping my entire history of content in order to move relays. Yeah, that's a problem. Possible solutions. NIP3 uses open timestamps where if you have a valid attestation, you can put that on the Nostra event. That is essentially outsourcing credibility of the timestamp to a third party, so it's only as credible as the third party. There are some attempts like NIP77 to create more web of trust via clients and relays as a proof of valid timestamp. It's still under development and discussion. I wish them luck. I'd love to see a Noster native version solution. Uh, and that's it. That does it for this uh, this week in Noster from the Noster report. Um, DLCs and open timestamps and, and this whole notion of losing your data. This is where I really want to reiterate the idea that I had. And I'm not a developer, so there's no hope in hell of me being able to do the following. But I think that it's time to have a standalone Nostr client, not one that is a web page, not one that is just a front end to somebody else's thing. We need our own Nostr client that has its own relay. And that relay allows you to partition a little bit of your hard drive so that nothing, nothing, nothing but Noster data goes onto those spinning plates or that partition in RAM in your you know solid state drive. What I'm getting at is these relays that have these partitions are like the old Napster client. It wasn't a, Napster was never a website. You downloaded a client and it was a .exe and you executed the client locally on your computer. And if you downloaded music, you downloaded it to a place. And that place was the partition that was built by the back end of the client that you didn't see. It basically just asked you questions like, do you want to share the songs that you download later with other people and be part of of the Napster network to make Napster more robust and, you know, censorship resistant. And if you said yes, then it, wherever it stored your songs, it would open that up as basically a place where you kept your seeds and you became a seeding relay for lack of a better term. 
They called it a server, but eh, that's kind of lack of a better term too. It was basically just using your local machine as a little tiny server to help the network distribute these songs. You weren't the only one that kept a copy of, I don't know, Rush's 2112, the full album, right? There were like a hundred people that had that album. And if 50 of them seeded that album, then there was 50 places where you could go and pull different parts of that file from, and then your client would reconstruct the whole damn thing. That means if somebody that you were downloading from turned off their computer, it didn't matter because there were 49 other cats that had the same song that you could pull little bits of their file from. And if everybody, if all 50 machines that were the only machines that had Rush's 2112 album live on it, if they all shut down, and there was like one left, the 49 out of 50 shut down and there was one cedar left and you were able to talk to it, you could complete the file from that cedar. So it was pulling from all of them. See what I'm getting at? I think we need this. I think we need this. I don't know how to build it. If you have a hope in hell of being able to build something like this, we need a Nostr client that is standalone as an executable on your local machine that partitions part of your hard drive that makes that shit available so that you can help the Nostr network not have to, to have people that take it in the financial butt by having these public relays because it's very expensive to do. If we can leverage that and get all of us to help out in these little tiny itty bitty ways like Napster used to do, but with knowing full well that we cannot centralize it. If we if we can learn from the past and use what we have now here in the future, if we were back in the past looking this way, if we can combine what we've learned with what we know, Nostra is going to become something that is incredible. We already have it with Bitcoin. I mean, it's easy for me to run up my node. I have my own mempool. I didn't have to be a structural software engineer to do it. I need the exact same thing for Nostra. I need the exact same thing for Nostra. I need you to be able to have a couple of your notes on my machine that I don't know it's yours. There's no way it's all encrypted. I can't tell whose data is whose, and I don't give a shit. But yet, if you've got a 10-year-old Nostra note, and I've still got that data file on my computer 10 years later, then the network will have access to that note. Because if we spread the, the if we spread the, what, what I'm trying to say, the storage problem around to each of us, we're going to have a much better time. We're going to have much better decentralization if it's not just me that holds the only other copy of your note that you wrote five years ago. If we've got 15 of them sitting on other, you know, 14 other computers plus mine, then it's going to be better. I just don't know how to do it. I just know that it can be done. Somebody, please, for the love of God, get it done. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. It's Monday. Let's start out the day with dad says jokes. My wife says the salads I make tend to be a bit on the dry side. It's definitely something that needs addressing. Huh? Huh? That's great. I love it. I love it. All right. If you want to support the show, 
Podcasting 2.0 is the way to go. You can boost me Satoshis. You can stream me Satoshis. Uh, next time, if you want to get in on the Zap stream, just like tomorrow morning, be on the lookout for my Noster. Uh, throwing the uh, the actual Zap URL to the that one stream out live right before I go and take part of the show. Uh, I think that's all that there is to know. So I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and... And I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.